Hello, this is Janet Gallen, welcoming you to another episode of Love Letters Live. Today's guest is so interesting, and I, it's Jana Barkin. Jana, I'm just going to go to you so you could say hello first. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and I was I was sent to Jana from uh, by a mutual friend because we were talking about personal pronouns, and I understand she and her and he and his. And after that, I'm kind of in a muddle. I went to the market the other day and the, the, you know, the cashier had a little thing with her name and it said she, her. And I, you know, did kind of, a, and then I thought, well, that's always nice to know a little more about a person. Why not? So I then discovered that you have a very interesting um, life to tell about, and that is your son. May we just dive right into that? Of course. Okay, good. Because there are so many questions about transgender life. And, you know, I live in San Francisco. I live in a modern world. I'm 80 years old. I've known lots of people. Mm. And a lot of friends are of various descriptions and self-descriptions and ways of living. And the transgender, when it starts very young, I think is confusing to a lot of people. So may we start with your child? Well, we can. And I want to start a little bit more before that in saying okay. the idea that I am the mom of a transgender person. So anything that I talk about with regard to being transgender or any LGBTQ issues are because of what I've learned along the way. That is not my identity. So I'm a cisgender person, which means that the identity, the way that I was born and the words that the doctors assigned to me at my birth fit for me. Okay, so in other words, that's the identity that you still have today, the one you were right. born with. Okay. Yeah, well, the the words I was labeled as. Okay. Fit for me, okay? okay? So then to use my son as an example, so my son is a transgender person. He's 24. Oh, I was gonna so ask how old he is now, okay. Yeah. So like with any adult, I need permission in order to talk about him. And he has given me that. Permission. Okay, good. All right. So I think that's, you know, well, I think truly we need permission to talk in public about anybody in oh, our families. I agree about anybody yeah. at all. You have to be careful. Yeah. Of yes. It's, yeah, too, but it's especially, too easy to hurt feelings and be confused. Yes. Well, and also it's just very personal and private information. So whatever we talk about here, we wouldn't necessarily go and ask people out in the world unless they were, you know, close people to us. Right. On the other um, hand, the benefit here, I think, is that you and your son have an enormous amount to teach the world right now. And yes, that's, thank that's you. So welcome. If, if I may start with your child's birth. Mm -hmm. Now you say transgender and he is your son. Right. And I'm guessing that at birth, you were told it's a girl. That's right. That's a great way of saying it too. At his birth, we looked at his body like you do. Right. And there's even a part of the story that's in my book about that. My daughter who is older than my son was, was at the birth and and when my son was born, we all looked and I saw that the genitalia was a vagina. So mm -hmm. I said in my mind, oh, a girl. But my daughter said, I think it's a boy. 
know. How does she feel that? How old was she? Well, she was five. So, you know, body parts look different perhaps when we're at birth. Uh, genitalia can be swollen. And also there's two choices basically at that time. And she was five. So what we, what we don't know is, was she feeling the essence of my child? Right. But that's, that's for like even another conversation. It so really yes, is, I, but that's certainly a, that's a good intuitive yeah. question. Yes, exactly. It's kind of magical. So yes, my son was assigned female at birth and we went along with that. And, you know, up until about three, my son pretty much went along with all the things that were brought to the table, which were mostly things that would be typical girl, like clothing, toys. But I'm also, I was a preschool teacher, very progressive. So I had, of course, all the toys. We had GI Joes and we had dolls and we had all the things. But my son consistently, my child, let's say, just to avoid any yes, confusion. Yes. So my child was very unlike his big sister. My child gravitated to only the trucks, only the G.I. Joe dolls. Yes, baby dolls, but mostly stuffed animals. And especially telling would be in the dress up corner, my child liked to wear superhero capes and like this, unlike his sister who wore the tutus and the princess <laughs> clothes and everything. But more telling was that what he really liked was the suits and the ties. Oh my goodness. And this was, and not that any kid who dressed- How did, how did he at that age have an option to wear suits and ties or he just liked that when he thought on others? Yeah, at preschool, we had all the things. And since I was the teacher, I made sure that there were lots of choices. Uh -huh. And when kids want to do dress up, it's not always about having the fantasy clothes. So we have all the clothes like, oh, would you like to dress up as a business person, right? Would you like to dress up as a mail carrier, Which, mm -hmm. right? So that people can see themselves in their future, not just the fantasy roles. But my child gravitated, yeah. And and um, and I just want to say, it doesn't mean that every kid who's gender expansive or gravitates to things that are not stereotypical for their gender doesn't mean they're going to be transgender. Well, that's true. I mean, personally, yes, I didn't like any of the girly stuff. Yeah, but still, internally, you always felt, right. I'm, I'm thinking, just like me, I always felt like a girl. I didn't even think about it, actually. Okay, so that's my next question. When did you think about it? When did he start to let you know? Yeah, well, I thought about it before he really let me know. So as an early childhood developmentalist, I just know that there's many ways to be a human. And a lot of times as a preschool teacher, if I had a child like mine in my classroom, gravitated to the opposite gender clothes, da, 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 we might label this kid, oh, I wonder if they'll be gay. Uh-huh. Right. Um, like especially a boy who might come in, a signed boy at birth wearing, wants to be the bride and wants to, <laughs> you know, the parents will come or I as the teacher might have assumed, and I'm using the word assume purposefully, you know, is is that this kid would be gay. And sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not. But what we really are looking at is gender behaviors and gender norms and expectations. Okay, so I, I have a question about that. You as a teacher, yeah. if you see something that gives you a very strong feeling that a child is one thing or another not assigned at birth or even assigned at birth, but 
likes a different way of living. I mean, boy, you know, really goes for the boys and tends to grab it. What do you do? Nothing. I mean, it's not your business to tell the parents or anything. Right? Um, as a teacher, it depends. Um, it's really different as a teacher and as a parent. But currently, um, I've been in the classroom since I've been doing this work and had a lot of awareness about being trans and what that means and supporting trans youth and their families. I haven't been teaching in the preschool classroom except for last year. And so, but what I will, what I do in my trainings and what I advise is that we, especially in preschool, we are there to provide space for the child to explore life and explore everything in the world around them and also things about themselves and each other and learning through that. So in the early childhood years, there's always in my life in 30 years of teaching been the idea that we allow and we welcome that. So it's preschool where they usually get to be expansive. And then when they go on to public school or private elementary school is where the boxes tend to be more narrow, but things are shifting. So, you know, if a child is just behaving in ways but seems happy and healthy, I probably won't bring anything up unless the parents bring it. Like usually it's should we be worried about this? Or should I make my kid wear a certain clothes, especially if a person assigned male at birth, a boy would want to wear dresses, right? That's where it's a little trickier. If, uh, if my kid shows up wearing jeans and a t-shirt in preschool, they might actually, I mean, often my child was called a boy even before we had any awareness about it. And why, why was that? What made? Because he really looked like a boy. He, he. Oh, you mean like, like if you're going down the street, people would yes. assume that he was your son. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because we allowed him to just dress in clothes that he wanted to and have a hairstyle the way he wanted to. And these got more and more clearly aligned with what our society sees as male. Now, what okay. is your, you, you've got these young children that are maybe what, three years old. And you, you see that there's differences mm -hmm. and you know that you're going to be sending that child uh, who I anatomically ostensibly girl, uh -huh. be sending that child into a larger world, that is to say, maybe public school where yeah. people may not be so kind. Sure. How do you prepare a child for that? How do you let a child know mm -hmm. that whoever you are, is just great. Right. That's that's a very deep question. And I think it it starts, you know, really early on and and having those conversations saying that, you know, people have different ideas, but that's that's not just about being someone who wears different kinds of clothing. That's cultural differences, right? Race differences, uh, economic differences. So, I mean, our family has a lot of privilege. So we um you know, being white, being educated, being in an area that's pretty progressive. And yet where my kid grew up was a little more on the conservative side um, compared to other areas in our county. And yeah, there were parents who asked our teacher, our child's teacher once, why do we make him dress that way? Mm -hmm. When actually we were allowing our child to choose what felt good Right. And so in our family, it's really about loving and supporting each other in expressing ourselves in ways that make us feel comfortable and then 
teaching resilience, right? If somebody teases you, yeah, well, you you have other people that you can hang out with and you can let me know or you can let a teacher know, but also having more of but an you, you can let a teacher know presumes that you've got teachers who are kind enough, compassionate enough and smart. That's right. So That's I have, right. I have a, a question. You used a word before hmm. when you said, and a parent will come and say, should I be worried? Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. my reaction to that would be, no, worried, not at all aware, and maybe overjoyed that your child knows what's, you use the word worry, parents worry. By the I way, I can see worry because the process of changing gender has got to be long and complicated and difficult. And I'd like you to explain that. Wow. Well, we've gone in a few tangents, but I know, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> worry, that's okay. And one of the reasons why parents worry is because of the way LGBTQ youth are treated and are faring right now and the rhetoric that's going on in our country. In other words, in other words, is my child going to be the victim of some kind of emotional abuse in the world? Yeah, I think that's a number one. Even sure. parents who are very aware and ready to support their child in regardless of how they express themselves, like you said, wow, how wonderful to have a child who really knows who they are. Um, yet, there are complications and yes, it's true that having a trans or non-binary, which is what we'll get into about the pronouns. Thank you. A child is very different than having someone who's gay or lesbian, a gay person oh, or a sure. lesbian person. Sexuality or sexual orientation is about who we're romantically or sexually attracted to or emotionally attracted to, whereas gender is about who we intrinsically are inside. Sure. Okay. And That's a very well stated point. Now, but I have a question. Yeah. So at some point, your child, mm. what's your son's name? His name is Amaya. Amaya? Amaya. Yes. He never changed his name. Oh, that was birth name? That was his birth name. Yes. It's rare that trans people, when they transition, keep their birth name. Well, that seems to be a name that could go any which way. Yes. Yeah, he did. So I, I have a question about that. At, at what point did he start saying to you, I'm a boy? Mm, that's such and a good that, And then at what point did you realize that he was talking to you? Yes. And right. that maybe you should do something about it. What did you do? At what age mm -hmm. do you start the process of mm. gender? This is a complicated business. And maybe you have to come back and do another one. But yes, I mean, like I said, there are so many different tangents, but okay. So the timeline was something like this. <laughs> My child was gender nonconforming as I expressed from an early age. If we think of boy, girl, binary, he was on the boy behavioral. And especially when you looked at him and the choices he made, but the only time he said to me, I'm a boy before he got much older was when he was three. So three years old is the first common age of disclosure. Is that right? And these children are usually not listened to. And it was true with my child too, which was he was playing and he was doing his pretend world. And there he was singing, I wish to be a grandpa, grandpa. And I was like, as an early childhood teacher, doesn't he know that girls turn out to be grandmas anyway? So I had the choice. Doesn't he know that that's so far in the future that there are other things? <laughs> right. And I had a teachable moment and I said, hey, do you know that girls grow up to be grandmas and boys grow up to be grandpas? And he looked straight at me and said, I'm a boy. 
And I said, well, you know, you were born with a vagina. And so that makes you a girl. However, you can be the, any kind of girl that you want. You can be tough. You can play cool. He wanted to always be cool. Mm -hmm. Play with, you know, have a deep voice. He would fashion his voice deep. Uh, wear whatever clothes you want, play. Okay. So he continued on. He always had friends that were boys and girls. He always dressed in the stereotypical boy clothes, always. And this went on. And in fourth grade, things started to get tricky because that's when the boys and girls separate out and mm -hmm. some boys were leaving him behind. And thankfully, we had a circle of support. We had some really cool families that just loved Amaya for who he was. The boy moms would say, I love having Amaya over. He, uh, she at the time, so calm, which was true uh, and still is to this day. So anyway, the, the tricky turned into distress and the distress was around his puberty, especially his changing physical outer body. So his breasts and the fact, and really his menstruation did not bother him. That was an inner personal thing that no one saw. Oh, but interesting. Outer, the outer body. Oh, I should say that at five years old is when he insisted on boy underwear. Mm -hmm. And that was tricky for me too, because for me, it was like, well, your body should have girl underwear. And then my husband said, why? Why does it make a difference? And I was like, oh, you're right. But that was an early time where his inner self needed something. Nobody sees your underwear except you. But his inner self needed that. Then when his breasts started to develop, that is when he really, the trickiness shifted into challenge. So he was still going to school. He was still doing well in school, happy seemingly in school. But anxiety started to build about, oh, I have stomach aches. Uh, he would be home when I'd be like, aren't your friends doing anything? Why aren't you going out? I don't know. And he would lie in his bed more and more and his shoulders started to shrink in like this. Oh. And he, what I didn't know is he, he had very large breasts and he was taking his breasts and pushing them aside and tucking them. Oh. It's a really oh. common thing for trans people. So what I'm describing is gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. which is the deeply distressing something about yourself regarding gender could be body could be your image of yourself, could be the way you see others perceiving you, which comes back to pronouns. And that is when his distress really built. And he still didn't say he was a boy. What he said was, I can't, I can't bear my breasts anymore, basically. And he wanted to start binding them and putting uh, what's called a binder, a very tight mm -hmm. type garment that really flattens the chest and helps appear more of a flat male presentation. So at this point, you must have yeah. realized we have to do something. Yes. This is when wonderful human being from his breast. Yes. His he outer. went from bright eyed and bushy, happy kid to really dark, sad, sad and anxious child and didn't want to do anything except with us. And I was like, this is just not right. And so, yes, I started to talk about it to him. I, uh, I had a friend through yoga. They were a lesbian couple. 
and I, and she was a doula and we just happened to be talking. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, you're so cool. You're such a cool mom because of Amaya B. I said, you know, my kid really likes this and dresses like this. And she said, you know, there's a book called The Transgender Child. Have you heard of it? A friend of hers had been writing this book and there's an organization called Gender Spectrum. Have you heard of it? And my mind was like, when I read The Transgender Child, all the bells and whistles went off. So then I really knew, but I needed to help my child find his way. We were still using she, her pronouns at the time. So it took from these emails when my kid was like 11 about wanting to do something about his breasts and having this anxiety, even through going through his school and trying to get more education for the kids, for the parents, they weren't ready. This was 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago. And then finally in high school, he kind of took the matters into his own hand, I should say. So he was old enough at that point to know that there was a surgery or a process that could change yeah. that. Yeah, he went so you on. Say, you didn't take a seven-year-old and start the process. Exactly, no. And while there are certain interventions that can happen at younger ages before puberty, at, at actually at a Tanner stage four of puberty, where we there are interventions, but no, my child, and I agree, and that's really important to let the public know right now, especially with all the rhetoric going on and swirling information, is that no medical interventions are ever done on any child with regards to being transgender before puberty. Oh, and okay. I did not know that. Okay. That's medical. But the other things that people can do are things we did, which were allow a child to wear the kind of clothing that best sure. suits them. And that is a change, right? And like I said, someone said to one of our teachers, you know, why do you make him do that? No, no, I was doing the opposite, right? I was supporting and allowing my child to express my child's self in a way that felt comfortable. But when that discomfort, when your child is depressed, I think oh. most parents are looking. And when I found the resource, then I just, I kept at it. I, I helped my child find, the way we finally got to therapists was was so... Uh, important because it was when my child was pushing the idea of of doing something about his breasts mm -hmm. and he found the information on YouTube around the time when my son was 13 there were a lot of youth around 18 19 that were starting to share their transitions on YouTube and I believe that that's where he got his good information actually because it was wonderful yeah, finally, he could see others like him. Uh, I think the first trans person we both met that we know of that was out to us was one of his therapists that was leading a support group. In ninth grade, when he chose to go into the independent school as part of our school district, it was because he was feeling anxious. It was because he was making some changes and he took his education into his own hands. He, he had to... He, had to be independent student. And I was very worried about that. I was worried about the social implications of not going to school. On the other hand, it took the responsibility for a difficult decision off of your shoulders. Isn't it wonderful? He really did. And because yeah. he was able to keep up with it, I was so... so I, I, have, I have a question only because 
we're running out of time a little bit here. Mm-hmm. There's so much more to, will you come back for a part two? Yeah, of course. Okay. So, so because I would like to know, well, I mean, I do know somewhat, but I don't know how many people do the process of leading from one gender to another. I mean, medically and emotionally. Well, again, that is really like an entire hour and a half workshop. So okay, so that's why I'm asking you to come back. What I'd like to do, right, for these next five minutes that we have is come back <clears throat> to what, well, here's a couple of things with regard to your, your recent question is every trans person is unique. Mm-hmm. And so every person's journey is different and mm-hmm. what they need to feel whole is different. And so for some people, it is true that it will seem that they're completely changing to opposite gender, but that's only perhaps the words they use or the way they look to us. But each person in our world, not only trans people, we're looking to find congruence. Uh The way we feel on the inside and the way we show ourselves to the outside and also how people perceive us. So in contrast to- becoming the opposite of who you are, you're becoming who you are. So beautifully said. And so when a person wants us to know their pronouns, let's let's come back, which is so great. Cause that's what you really kind of led off with, with this was your inquiry. We use pronouns to express to others who we are, just Mm -hmm. like our names do that. Mm-hmm. So like your name is Janet and my name is Jana. And if someone mm-hmm. called me Janet, I would say, that's not my name. And you would say, and someone would say Jana, and you would say, actually, my name's Janet. And then we would hope that the other person would hear that and integrate it. Sometimes they don't. And especially with pronouns, if someone doesn't appear the way we assume uh, or if they appear a certain way to us and we assume, and then they tell us something that doesn't mix with that, then we have cognitive dissonance and we need to figure out how we're going to go forward. Right. And some people, they get stuck because it's like, we're being told we're wrong and perhaps we even get embarrassed. Right. So a person who uses they, them pronouns is someone who does not want to be referred to or doesn't feel male or female. They could feel a combination. They could. Oh, oh, so there, so that's why, see, I can't do that because I'm old and I went to school and you couldn't use they, unless you were talking about more than one person, it was grammatically incorrect. But But knowing you already for this half hour, you are a lifelong learner and you are the age that my mother also is. And she has made that adjustment. So well, now I, that you're saying that if people feel more than one way, that is people can feel plural. Isn't that amazing? Well, that's one they, way of, of they, getting our brain. Uh-huh. They still are a singular person, but you're right. It's, it's think about this. <laughs> if you came to my house and you were uh, and you were with five other people. So you you all came to my house, and somebody put a hat on the table, and then everybody left. I would think, I would not say, oh, I wonder, I, I wonder who left their hat here. I wonder if they'll call me. I wonder uh-huh. if I should reach out to everyone. Well, they'll call me because they know they were here. So do you hear how I'm using they? Yes, as a I singer? do. 
And, and I we would all say, do uh-uh. that's right, but we all do it. And actually yeah. it's grammatically correct. If you look at the latest grammar guides and also the Webster's dictionary, they yes, have the language. Right. So it's, it's actually for me, a belief that some people are very much traditionalists and that's how their brain works. And then others are more progressives and that's how our brain works. And we, there are just ways of being. And at the same time, all brains can learn new things. Okay, that's that that is a wonderful point. Mm. And I, okay, so just before we end here, I just hate to let you go. Before we end, um, I, I just want to say when you're saying, you know, your name's Jana and my name's Janet, there is something I think people all feel this way, so irritating if people get your name wrong. That's right. You know, I get mail, I have gotten mail sometimes, and it'll say, you know. Instead of J-A-N-E-T typo, it says J-A-B-E-T. And I went. And 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 it just so imagine if that happened every day of your life with your yes. With regard to something that intrinsically right. deeply is painful. Yes, how awful. So for people who are misgendered, the wrong pronoun or name, misnamed, right? every time they hear it, it's just like we've been taught oh, about uh-huh, microaggressions. Like, Nails on the chalkboard is another right, great right, example. Right. So I have a question also. And only- that feeling of being hurt. So yeah. it's not just that we're making a mistake, we're making, if we do not correct ourselves, we're making a hurtful choice. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So it's incumbent upon us to be aware, I think. And to perhaps be open to learning new things. For sure. Especially well, I, I have a family. question because I am about love letters. Are you a letter writer? Ah, you know, okay. I used to be. I well, we're okay. Writing. Can we talk about that? Because I can see a whole slew of love letters that would just be so meaningful. I'm going to get in touch with you. I would love to hear about that. I'm going to say goodbye for now. Yes. And I will just talk to you very soon again on Love Letters Live. I can't wait to hear more. Oh, thank you so much for clarifying so much. You're I mean, I, you know, I tend to feel, I always tend to feel that I'm aware of a lot and I know a lot and nope, wrong. There are huge gaps in everybody's, I guess, yeah, I only know what I know, right? And yeah. everyone and- has so much to share. And I so appreciate you being interested and inviting me on. So well, I'm going to invite you back. back. And for now, I'm just going to say goodbye. And thank you, dear. I hope we just thank stay connected so forever in life. I hope so too. Okay, thank you. And um, I'm just going to, yes, as I say, I'm just going to say goodbye. Bye-bye. And I'll talk to you later. Bye. Yes.